Is that on? Okay. Yep. This is why we need wives to help us. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's the family. Again, my daughter is 11 years old. Uh, my son is uh, eight years old. Our son is, uh, and the third one is uh, four years old. This is the first time we are traveling, uh, uh, leaving the kids behind in India. First time both of us are traveling together. Uh, so it's a, it's a great art opportunity, a great honor to be with you guys. Uh, this morning, I'm going to speak from Ezekiel chapter 37. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to uh, turn to Ezekiel uh, chapter 37. Even as you uh, just turn to that passage, I just want to give you a little context about uh, where, we've, where we're from and what India is like. So we, uh, we live in a city called New Delhi. New Delhi is the capital of India. Now, India is in the 1040 window, and I don't know if you are familiar with the term 1040 window. It is basically that part of the world map that is um, uh, least reached. It has around 6,000 unreached people groups. Close to half of those unreached people groups uh, are from India. So India is a big part of the 1040 window, uh, which is unreached. Uh, Delhi has 25 million people. Like Chris mentioned, it has less than 0.1% evangelical. Uh, so uh, it's, it's kind of a difficult context. Delhi is, uh, is supposed to be the second largest city in the world after Tokyo. Now, uh, just to again help you understand, uh, in India we have mostly uh, people follow uh, Hinduism, which is uh, 80% of our population. Uh, India also has a large Muslim population, uh, which is largest for a non-Muslim nation. So we have, uh, that's another 10-12%. Uh, so that's basically the context of India. We had missionaries who would come uh, uh, several years back to India to be able to share the gospel. And one of them was William Carey. I don't know if you've uh, heard about him or read his biography. William Carey is a British missionary. Uh, he moved to this place called Kolkata uh, in uh, east of India. And I want you to just imagine the context. Even, even put yourselves in the shoe of William Carey. He moved with his family uh, and he would go out and preach the gospel uh, uh, to, to the people there in villages and towns uh, Every day, every day he would go. I mean, he went for like a month, two months, six months, uh, and he saw nobody come to Christ. He went for one year, two years, three years, preaching the gospel, not a single person coming to know uh, Jesus as uh, Savior. Uh, five years, seven years, okay? And I want you to think about this, for seven years, and if I were in his place, I would have probably moved away in the first six months, but I mean, he was there for seven years to see even one person respond to the gospel, right? Uh, there's another missionary called Gladys Staines, who, who was uh, uh, married to Graham Staines. They moved from Australia uh, to, to, again, uh, uh, the middle part of India. They especially worked among people who were suffering from leprosy, and they really invested in that community and shared the gospel there. Uh, one day when uh, Graham Staines and uh, 
their two sons, both less than 10 years old, they were camping in the forest uh, and they were sleeping in the jeep. And suddenly that night, a mob of uh, uh, kind of anti-Christians, they kind of uh, surrounded the jeep and they set the jeep on fire. And on that day, uh, Graham Staines and the two boys were burned to death. And I want you to imagine what Gladys Staines would have felt uh, living in India, working in a context like this. Now, this is, this is kind of just a glimpse of what happens around the world. And sometimes when we encounter uh, situations like this, when we encounter hopelessness like this, when we encounter brokenness and desperate situations, uh, our first instinct is to, is to give up. Our first instinct is to become cynical about life and about God. Our instinct is to become frustrated when we plunge ourselves into despair and we lose hope. Maybe this is something we face in our own social context. Maybe this is something, something like this we face in our own work reality, our own families. And this morning we're going to look at Ezekiel. And Ezekiel goes through this valley. And I want want to use this image, uh, not just geographically. I know Walla Walla is in a valley. uh, But even spiritually, sometimes we go through situations where it feels like a valley. So today I'm going to talk about how do we get a vision uh, during the valley. A vision for the valley. Even in our own hopelessness. Even our own situations of trials. So I'm going to place three things before you. Two things about God and one thing about how it applies to us. So let's, go, let's look at Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, I'm going to be, begin from verse 1. And the first thing we notice is that we notice a God who calls us. A God who calls us. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. Let's just pause there. Ezekiel finds himself in the middle of the valley. And the article in front of the valley suggests that he probably is aware of the valley. His audience are aware of the valley. And as he looks at this valley, it's not a pretty picture. It is actually a mass grave. And this is, this is not a PG version of the vision. This is very graphic, this is vivid, this is shocking, and it's a strong imagery. And I want you to imagine what Ezekiel is probably feeling at that moment. And even as he's walking around this valley, in the middle of the valley, he's, he's smelling the deadness and the dryness of the bones. And he's able to see them with his eyes, and he's able to smell them, he's able to walk, and this crackling sound, and he, he is, it's brutally real. Right? It's a valley full of bones. And Ezekiel is standing in the middle of the valley, surrounded by the stench and sight of this something that's horrible. Right? And you notice a couple of times in the first verse and second words, it talks about that there were very many bones. And they were very dry. It seems like a hopeless situation. This is not your average bad day in office. This is this is desperate situation. This is hopelessness. And when we go through situations like that, and when we encounter brokenness, even in our own lives, in our own families, in our own marriages, 
in our own situations, and sometimes questions rise up. We have doubts creeping in, and that's normal. We see it in the Psalms. The psalmist always has these questions when it comes before God. So the questions are okay. Questions are normal. And some of the questions that we would, we would encounter when we encounter situations like this is, where is God in this? What is he doing here? What, what am I doing here? And that's why we see in verse 1, and I want you to notice this again and again. Verse 1, it says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of the valley. And verse 2, and he led me around among them. Where is God in this? God is right there with Ezekiel. It was God who brought him into the middle of the valley. It was the spirit of God that led him into this valley. And it forced him to take a hard look at death and brokenness around him. In fact, in verse 11, if you, if you go down in the passage, it says uh, God gives him an idea of what that is. In verse 11, it says, Son of man, these, are the, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This was Ezekiel's reality. This was his social context. This was his national context. Uh, This was the people he knew. And when he encountered this, and I'm sure he was overwhelmed by what he saw. I'm sure it was shocking for him. And maybe there was tremendous grief and tremendous sadness as he looked at these dry bones. and Maybe even a little bit of fear about what the outcome is going to be. Even as we look at this passage, maybe this is your reality. Maybe you are overwhelmed in some sense. Or maybe you are going through some sense of grief and sadness. Or maybe you are going through some sense of fear about the future. Maybe your current reality is being described here. Or maybe you are stepping into a reality in the future that can become like this. And we face this hopelessness in our ministry context back in Delhi. I said 25 million people. And every time I mention this, I know Walla Walla has uh, 30,000 people. Can you even imagine 25 million people? I mean, I can't imagine. Where are these people? They're all in Delhi, right? Uh, 25 million people. You don't find churches there. You don't find people who know the gospel. Delhi has the highest crime rate in India for crime against women and children. Right? It's, 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 it's corrupt. It's, it's, it's got pollution. There are seasons in our year where our children have to wear masks because there's so much pollution. Right? There's exploitation, there's oppression. And everything within me wants to run away from the city. Right? Get out of Dodge. Right? I don't know if I'm saying that right, but we want to we wanna head out. <laughs> but I want you to know, Ezekiel... And if he's wondering where he is, he is right where God wants him to be. He is right, even in the valley of the dry and dead bones in the midst of hopelessness, he is exactly where God wants him to be. We see a God who calls, he calls us specifically to this broken world. He calls us specifically to the brokenness of people around us. He calls us and leads us to see and even enter into the brokenness of families and people and societies around us. 
We see a God who calls. And listen, I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe the very reason you and I want to leave because of the brokenness you and I want to leave is probably the very reason God wants us to stay. Oh, God wants us to pray. God wants us to stay engaged. We see a God who calls. Why does he call? Why does he call us? Because he's a God who renews. He's a God who's in the business of renewing all things. Look at verse 3. We see a God who calls, a God who renews as well. Verse 3. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? I answered, oh Lord God, you know. Let's pause there. What's happening? It seems like a ridiculous question. If you, if you kind of think about this. This is ridiculous. Of course these bones cannot live. It's been dry. It's been dead for a very long time. It's impossible. It's like God asking you a question. Will your family change? Will your life change? Will you see hope in in this situation? Will the corruption around you change? Will the city change? And sometimes we feel like, of course not. It's hopeless. Right? And, and when we, on the face of it, Ezekiel's response seems like a lot of faith. But if you look at it, maybe it's not. Maybe God is asking him, Ezekiel, look at the situation around you. Will this situation change? And Ezekiel's probably going, well, I, I don't know. And God is asking him, do you think there will be life in these bones? And Ezekiel's like, Lord, I, I don't know. And God is like, will there be hope? Is there any hope in the situation? Ezekiel's like, Lord, I don't know. Will, will these bones live? And Ezekiel's probably going, Lord, I don't know. Only you know. I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing here. It it is a statement that comes out of desperation. And maybe we find ourselves in situations just like Ezekiel, where we have no idea what are we even doing here. Verse 4. And this is when God speaks to Ezekiel. And he said to me, it says, Then God said to me, prophesy over these bones And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Just imagine this. Even as you read this, there is an echo from Genesis 1 right here in this passage. In Genesis, we talk about, we look at how the bodies were created and how God put the spirit into the body and he raised him up in a two-stage process. In a similar way, we see what's happening here. In Genesis, God does the primary work of creation. But here, God uses Ezekiel not as an observant, but as a participant in the renewal and recreation work. God renews. God calls and he renews things and he restores things. And God is using us to do that. Just like he's calling Ezekiel and he's asking Ezekiel to participate in the recreation work. So what do you do? Verse 7. Verse 7, so Ezekiel, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. 
And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. But then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain. That they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army. What a, what a beautiful picture. What a stunning vision. God not only called Ezekiel into the midst of the valley, but God is using him to renew and restore and to breathe life into some of the darkest, broken situations around him. Even as spectacular as this, when we look at our own lives, sometimes we struggle to even think about restoration, renewal in this sense. Sometimes it's very hard for us to understand what's happening. Why do we struggle? Why do we struggle to see what God is about to do or what he is doing? It is because of sin. Sin hardens our heart to turn away from brokenness. Or sin makes us impatient. Sin does not let us hope in what he can accomplish. Sin makes me selfish and self-centered. It's all about me and my comfort and my life. And as much as sin hardens my heart, the spirit softens my heart. The spirit of God softens my heart to first repent of my own selfishness, to repent of my own brokenness, and to be able to engage with what I see around. God calls us. God calls us to engage. Oh, God calls us and the spirit of God breeds life. It brings power. Causes renewal. And sometimes it's hard for us to imagine something like this. Even in our own situation. Even in our own lives. Even for this city. Even for this valley. Or even for this nation. It is hard for us to experience something like this. Because everything within us says, run. Run away. Protect yourself. And I want you to think about this. Maybe we are not staying long enough in certain broken situations to be able to experience the power of God, to be able to see his glory in display. Maybe sometimes we give up far too easily. And maybe there are times we just live by sight and not by faith. My friends, God is bringing about a renewal of all things. In Revelation 21, 5, behold, 21, 5 says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Oh, my friend, we have a God who calls us specifically into the brokenness of this world so that we can be partners with him in the work of restoration and renewal. What a privilege. What a calling. Now, my friends, even as we see this, do you see your calling? Even in the midst of your brokenness, even in the midst of your hopelessness, do you see a sense of purpose? Why things happen the way it happened? Do you see, do you sense the voice of the caller in your life? Oh, he calls us to be able to see his glory, to be able to see his power. 
We see a God who calls, a God who renews. The question is, how do we live like this? Where do we get the power to persevere? Where do we get the power to live faithfully and joyfully? How can I rise above some of my frustrations or some of my hopelessness? How do I do that? And this is where we see something else happening in this passage in verse 3. And it keeps repeating. Verse 3 it says, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And in verse 9 it says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, Son of man. Verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Well, this phrase keeps repeating itself. Do you know this phrase is seen in other places in scripture? Do you know who else is called the son of man? Jesus. Jesus claims, calls himself the son of man. And this is what Jesus came to do. And Jesus says, I am the son of man. Who came to this world to do the father's work of renewal. The thing that man could not do was unable to do because of sin. And the result of sin, Jesus came to restore humanity to its proper place. And the way he did it, the way Jesus accomplished it, he, by willingly entering into our mess, into our brokenness, he emptied himself. In Philippians 2, he came as a servant. He took on the dirtiness and the messiness of this world to reweave the torn tapestry of creation. This is what Jesus did. He was willing to serve. Even though he was rejected. Even though he was scorned. Even though he was ridiculed. Even to the point of death. You know why? Because he wanted to renew us. He wanted to restore us. He wanted to redeem us. And my friend, when I begin to understand what Jesus did for me. And most of the time, I understand here. I know what Jesus did for me. Oh, but when I begin to sense what Jesus did for me in my heart. Oh, when the gospel that's in my head becomes real in my heart. When I, when I see Jesus dying on that cross as a substitute for me, he entered into my messiness, oh, into my brokenness to redeem me, to change me. It is that gospel when it moves my heart. Oh, when it challenges me. Oh, when it melts my heart. When my Savior, what he did for me, melts my heart. My friend, that is where I get the power to step into the brokenness of this world. It is not because I have passion. It is not because I can do something amazing. No, my friend. Two days, yes, but no. That's, that doesn't happen. Like The way I get the power to live this way is because of the gospel. Because I sense the gospel. It is the gospel that propels us. It is the gospel that moves us. It is the spirit of God that empowers us to step into some of the brokenness. Even in our own lives and situations. And in the process, even if you are rejected. Even if you are scorned. Even if you are ridiculed. Even at the point of death. We get the power to joyfully engage. Or to joyfully serve and to have a renewed vision for the valley. It comes from the gospel. And when the gospel melts my heart, my friend, when Jesus, what he had done for me, it melts my heart. We cannot just walk away from brokenness. 
Or we cannot just shrug our shoulders and keep moving about. No. Oh, we sense the voice of the one who calls us right into the brokenness. And we understand he's about the renewal of things and we participate with him. And when we do that, we experience what Ezekiel experienced. Verse 7, he says, we begin to witness some of these things. We begin to set, witness a sound. Maybe there's a, there's a sound. Or maybe there's a, there's a rattling. Oh, after all these years, maybe you sense a little bit of rattling. Or maybe you see the bones come together. Maybe you, some of you see flesh appearing a little bit. Life appearing. And slowly, my friend, even if it's not in our lifetime, we will see an exceedingly great army stand before God. William Carey, he stayed after those seven years. Not one person came to faith, but he continued. In his lifetime, his his wife became mad. He lost his kids. It was difficult. It was hopeless for him. But it was through the same man that God brought the first steam engine into India. He brought the first post office into India. The first botanical society in India. The first newspaper in all of Asia. He translated the Bible into 34 different dialects in India. Why? Because he was willing to stay on in some of the broken situations. And God caused the revival. God caused the renewal. Gladys Staines, even in the midst of a horrific murder in her life, she willingly forgave the one who murdered her husband and two kids. And that, my friend, became one of the greatest Christian witness in the history of India. Maybe the very reason you and I want to leave is the very reason God wants us to stay. Do you sense the voice of the caller? Are you about to give up in certain situations? Do you sense why you are there? Do you sense God doing something beautiful? Let's pray. Father, even this morning, as we bow before you, Jesus, we want to worship you. We thank you because you... Oh, you did not just stay in heaven looking at our mess, but you came down into this world. You changed each one of us. You redeemed us and renewed us. And we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord Jesus, even this, this morning, that you will, oh, so melt our hearts. Oh, that you will renew our hearts with the gospel. That we will be able to joyfully and courageously enter into some of the brokenness of this world. I pray for my friends here this morning. Maybe they are in some of the most difficult situations in life. Oh, Spirit of God, encourage them. Oh, Spirit of God, give them a renewed vision for life in the valley. Oh, Spirit of God, help them to see through eyes of faith what you are doing. That we will joyfully participate. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.